and I have Eric Kaysen in the flesh. So, Eric, how you doing? It's good to see you, bro. Good, good to see you, brother. We're reflections of the bell curve to one another. That's why we're, we're the truest and deepest brothers. Yes. So. yes, it's literally fitting. There is no midwit here because it's left side and right side of the bell curve. The, and, the truth is I just fall off the right side and go back on the left side. So. Oh, my. Okay. I'm, I'm so glad we went there because I have this idea and I'm trolling kind of here. But I really do believe uh, the bell curve is a circle. It, you go so far off the left side that you end up on the right side. And you go so far off the right side, you end up back on the left side. It's like, what, what is going on here? Which one's which? Well, th- this is kind of the interesting thing that I love about philosophy. Because first of all, like, I don't think philosophy is possible in academia. And the other irony of philosophy is that like, it's supposed to be this smart person thing. But it's really you simply saying, I don't actually know. And I'd like to know. And so like... It's really important to understand that, you know, in Socrates' apology, this is one of the things who he pointed out. He was like, I don't know that I know anything, but that's still more than these people who are declaring they actually know what it is. Well, is that not just a case of the midwit that thinks he knows everything and they're so adamant about what they know? And we're sitting here like, guys, uh, we have no clue what the hell is going on here. Like, do you? Like, I know exactly what's going on. You're like, oh, this guy knows? And if you want to engage in, like, true philosophical dialogue and actually thinking about stuff you have to be open and available the fact that like you could be wrong and this is one of the reasons that like we have all of these ivy leagues and academics and phds who come to us and say we're right we're right we're right and we watch this entire system collapse on itself and we're like if you guys were also right why is it that the same endemic problems that started in the 2008 financial crisis have just continued to today and now are at a much larger crisis proportion yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I don't, I don't know if they have enough uh, self awareness to even ask themselves these questions. Yeah, and this is another thing I bring up pretty frequently: is the the idea of the banality of evil. Is that it's not that these are maniacal evil people that are trying to do something terrible. It's that they're not thinking at all, and that's what allows for them to engage in, in these behaviors that, in my opinion, truly are evil. Because to me, what fiat represents is the ability for people to steal from me and redirect that money towards making war. And that's something that I find morally uh, reprehensible and an ethical imperative that I must resist that Bitcoin gives me access to. Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing your Noster and you've been going very hard on that very idea of we're here to fix things. And if you aren't taking what we're doing seriously then like are you really grabbing the moment by the horns like what what are we doing here but trying to defund all of the evil of the world and by necessarily embracing fiat or rather being oblivious to the causes or the effects of fiat you're literally part of the problem yeah and and, you know to me this is the thing i'm pedantic about like crypto in general is that while I do want to reserve a space for there to be very real new practices and tactics vis-a-vis cryptography, and Noster is an excellent example of us using that tactic, what we find from a lot of people that are involved in shitcoining is the simple fact of that they don't understand that our mission here is to end fiat and to liberate humanity to be able to have self-sovereignty over our wealth that we have fairly earned, and that that is an ethical imperative that I, I think they almost laugh at. And that's part of this general nihilism that I think is a product of essentially midwittery. Like the, these, and it's not, not to be pejorative, but it's that they don't want to allow for themselves the capacity to think outside of the box because they're still thinking in terms of statism and legal systems as opposed to something new that we haven't seen before that opens humanity up to the true potentiality of what access to recreating the political would actually mean.
Oof. Okay. Uh, I'm going to butcher one of your tweets, or I, I don't even know what you call them on Noster, a post or whatever. I was thinking, they should be like squarks or something, Some, right? Yeah, so like I, an ostrich? Or, or I don't know what you call them. Anyways, a post on Noster. And just to like TLDR, it basically, I think you said something on the lines, and I, I know you've been going very hard on this. He's like, literally, guys, why is it so hard for you to agree that looting and war and murder is bad. Like, how is this even a contentious idea in the world? But obviously, the fiat monetary system, the fiat midwit mentality is like, uh, if a government kills someone, if a government loots from you, like, it's okay. Whereas an individual, you could never get away with this stuff. And people are just like, this is just the way it is. Like, how can anything be different? We're like, no, there, there is right and wrong in the world. And we're trying to change this or at least expose it. Well, I, I, I think one thing first is like I want to honor and respect the fact of that everyone is captured now, that to stand up and resist. And, and this is actually what my lecture uh, when I was in Riga was about was the development of specifically the panopticon into a surveillance system and its relationship to both the Holocaust and concentration camps of that. This is the same paradigm and model that we have now made into an open to aired prison system. And what we've seen with the Uyghur genocide is that through surveillance, they're performing what I've been calling the perfect genocide because it's no longer actually about liquidating and killing a people that you find as an enemy, but it's about destroying their culture, destroying their language, destroying their identities, destroying their God, and destroying all aspects of personal sovereignty and making them into a total hollowed-out slave for the state. And then furthermore, once you've destroyed them through this process of torture, you release them back out into their region. You go, there's surveillance everywhere. You never know if you're being watched. And if you try to resist us in any meaningful way, we will hurt you. And now we've seen with their Chinese style social credit system, which to be very clear, CBDCs are this exact same style of a social credit system. And it will be used to deprive you of your wealth when you go outside the bounds and parameters of purchasing things that the government does not like. This is a very, very, very serious crisis for all of humanity. And we need to understand that these tools are so powerful and sophisticated that if we do not address this problem immediately, there's going to be severe consequences, not just for us and our children, but for all of posterity for the rest of time to come for thousands of years, possibly. So understand that this is a very, very real crisis point that we need to understand if we don't stand up and say this is wrong and we will resist it we will find ourselves and our children trapped in a system that we cannot escape. Oof. Wow. Okay. I totally agree. But man, dropping it heavy on us. Okay. I've been using the meme uh, in regards to CBDC. It's not central bank digital con uh, currencies. It's central bank digital control. And I'm doubling down on these ideas like you're saying. You know, Nico always says Bitcoin is slavery. We're starting to get a little more hyperbolic. It's like Bitcoin or death. And at first it feels like we're just being, you know hyperbolic we're just trying to spread good memes and and do it in a way that like captures people's minds but i really do believe that we are at a tipping point right now in the history of man and there's two roads to go like you're saying it's literally slavery forever or there's freedom on the bitcoin network and it's going to take a lot of grit a lot of work a lot of conviction to stand up and look at the crowd and look at everyone and be like, look, this shit is fucked up and we need to change this. And I'm not going to ask you to be the one to sacrifice yourself. Like I'm putting in the work for myself because I understand how important this moment in time is. 
Well, and to me, like, this is one of my most significant critiques of democracy is like, I, I have no interest in convincing you that these ethical crimes are crimes. I know they are, and I'm going to empower myself in a way to make sure that I can resist that unilaterally. And then goodness, Bitcoin allows for that capacity in personally. And I think even going beyond just saying, you know, the choice is Bitcoin or slavery and, and, and with the moniker, you know, that, that it's Bitcoin or death. Like, it's important to understand that the American Revolution and one of their great slogans was join or die. And the idea of this wasn't ju- just to, you know, be flippant and pedantic about it, but it's that literally the choice is, is that you can join the American Revolution or you can perish under the tyranny of King George. So join or die. And that's the same thing that I see going on with Bitcoin is you can join us, learn how this works and protect your wealth, or you can allow for the state to steal from you, rob you of everything through hyperinflation, and then you will die. And it really is that simple. Like, get looted or avoid getting looted. Well, and and it's important to understand that, like, this now becomes the foundational order for a new form of the political. The simple fact, and that's why... People have always said Bitcoin is apolitical, and I go against that. I say Bitcoin is the most political thing, and it's because it re-implements an apoliticality that is the truth that a, a form of law is supposed to be. And to me, what Bitcoin represents is it is the first social contract that has been accomplished and created through cryptography, and this now creates a base layer of what is our common wealth, which the commonwealth is also the, uh, it has the same etymological origin of the word res publica, which is the Roman idea of the republic. Okay. All right. Amazing. All right. Not to stop this conversation short, but you were just telling me that you are going on a book tour, a world book tour for your recent book. And I haven't read it yet. I've read some of the, your works. One of my favorite Bitcoin thinkers, Bitcoin philosopher, if I will. Um, is this what your book's about? And maybe TLDR people for why they should read the book. Obviously, just listen to him, guys, and you should read it. Well, I always eschew the the title of being a philosopher, uh, perhaps a thinker, but I really try to think of myself as a strategist. And to me, like, this is really about entertaining the philosophical and sociological aspects of if, if Bitcoin truly is what we think it is and functions as it seems to be functioning what is this open humanity up to? What does it mean that there's now a new form of sovereignty that we have access to through vis-a-vis cryptography? And to me, now that we have Bitcoin out in the, the world, we, this, this base layer of the Commonwealth can start building all of the new structures it needs. And Noster is one of the primary examples like the site because it's not doing anything shitcoiny, but it's using the same model and methodology that Bitcoin's time chain functions through to create its own methodology to create a social network. And now we're going to start seeing us building more and more applications like this, whether it's going to be uh, voice over IP systems, peer-to-peer encryption software, uh, self-sovereign computing. And we're seeing all of this bubble up as a great blooming that isn't simply about Bitcoin, but it's the larger umbrella movement that I see to be that is crypto anarchy and the inheritance of cypherpunk philosophy. Love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. You touched on it a few times. And recently, I've been doing my best to not get blackpilled and not get pessimistic and look at the world and be hopeful for, for lack of better terms, like humanity. And... As much as we have dedicated our lives to try to wake up as many people as possible, um, two questions here. Are people (laughs) as dumb as they are acting? And is there hope 
to actually wake up everyone or does it just matter about the individuals taking action? Uh, I mean, in all honesty, it's a little bit of both. Like I, everyone has the potentiality of the spark inside of them to, to truly start questioning and asking questions. But like that, that spark has to get ignited by some particular aspect inside of them. And what I find is really interesting is that like, yeah, I think 95% of the population is doomed because they can't do that. But that spark can be ignited in any person, anywhere, from any background, of any religion, any race, any creed. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that that individual empowerment is about kind of this higher social structure of people coming into contact with the truth of reality and being and understanding that we don't live in a nihilistic world where the idea of truth is a complete subjectivity, but there, there is something greater that can help order our world. And Bitcoin seems to have fused itself into that way that allows for it to actualize the realest form of money that we've ever encountered through it bonding both energy and cryptography into a singular entity that's also then protected by the upper limit of the number of monetary units that can ever be created. And by this very thing being introduced into the world, and this is the thing that I find the most remarkable is that it's not just about us encountering truth and going, oh, this is great. It's about encountering truth in the totality of the darkness of nihilism and that absolute black pill of saying there is no conceivable way to escape this. And somehow miraculously in that Bitcoin presents itself as the solution, not just to our monetary woes that fiat has created, but the endemic, sick, nihilistic culture that has robbed us of almost everything and has tried to make us into two dimensional consumerists that are all supposed to be homogenized in the same as opposed to the unique, powerful entity that is only you. Wow. I love it. Yeah, I. Yeah. Uh... Just blowing my mind. This is why I love Eric. I absolutely love talking to you. But I've I've realized that before Bitcoin, I was the pessimistic, nihilistic, you know, get your kicks on Route 66 type thinking, just like YOLO, have fun, you know, gain experiences. And then through Bitcoins, like you said, something internally was recharged. And I looked at the world through new lenses. I'm like, wow, there is hope in the world. Like there is good left in the world. And it might just be touching truth. And I was reminded what you're talking about. Uh, what we're seeing right now seems to me, and I think you would agree, just like the degradation of human spirit. And I just kept thinking of, I know we use the Klaus Schwab meme of like, you will own nothing and be happy. And then we use it kind of in like a materialistic sense. But right now when you were talking, I was, I was kind of taking it more on like a, a cultural aspect. Like you will own nothing of your own human spirit and be happy. And like you said, be a two-dimensional blob and be like, just eat the worms, shut up, go to work and have no say in the matter. And there's something internally through, I don't know, the sociological human behavior that is created through Bitcoin that you're just like, no, like I will take back my human spirit. I will take back my human dignity and we are going to change the world. And I, I, this is the stuff that gets me the most excited. It's like, what is this? Well, and I, I, it's very hard for us to describe it. One, because I don't know if we actually have the adequate language, but the, the truth of what occurring is reverberating with everybody. And this is growing. It's getting bigger. If you've ever been to a Bitcoin conference like this, like it's a, it's a pretty intense experience because like you will have very deep and profound conversations with people. And I know of dozens of people at this point in time that have actually like had legitimate spiritual awakenings because they they're realizing like 
this isn't about money. It's about law itself. And the fact is, is that at the end of World War II, we watched law shipwreck itself in such an extreme way that the, that the legal system fundamentally exploded. Like we had the largest crime that has ever happened in human history. Barely 2% of the people were ever even put on trial for it. And then the vast majority of those people were then transported and integrated into the United States government and military structure directly. And like, these are people that killed millions of human beings that did nothing wrong. And I want to be clear, it was seen as not being a crime, both on from the Nazi legal structure and from the greater United Nations structure. And you can see by the fact of how light handed we were at the punishments at Nuremberg and all of the successive genocides that have came after that and the complete incapacity to actually try them. And to me, what Bitcoin represents is the ability for us to recover the truth of what law is. And inside of that law, we can now contain our wealth so that these parasites can't come along and steal from us and then use it to create and generate hate between us and other peoples around the world and say, that person lives within a geographical territory that identifies them as our enemy and we need to kill them. Fuck you. You can't have my money. You can't use it to kill people. If you want to come back and stop using violence and murder and harm and terror to get what you want, we could talk about it. But until you stop financing war, I want nothing to do with your monetary and legal system. Hold on. Absolutely couldn't agree more. And I think on this note, I go back and forth a lot of times, and I, I think this might just be healthy. Uh, anytime I hear you talk, we go so far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> like it, 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 it's almost a psychedelic experiencing experience just listening to Eric Kaysen like rant, and you're just like, oh my God. I remember you said a, a kind of a tangent. The last time I saw you, I think it was last year, and you're like, it's almost like the Bitcoin community wants me to go crazy because I just like black out on stream and they're like, keep going, keep going, bro. And so I think we all kind of go through this once you go so far down the rabbit hole. And so the question is, are we right? I mean, we are right and we're going to insist upon being right and we're going to push that to the most extreme limit. But what I really appreciate about Bitcoin and something that not only Bitcoiners, but the fundamental way that Bitcoin functions, it always returns me to the ethical praxis of that. To me, like this is about the most radical form of nonviolent that I can enact on. And this was one of my arcs of why I joined Bitcoin was in the fallout of Occupy Wall Street. I understood how endemic finance was to the process of creating war. And specifically from my own background, I feel militantly against the idea of conducting war. And so when it finally clicked for me that this is a way that I can proactively definance the state, I can make it so they can't steal my wealth in any way, even if that means that they attack and destroy me personally, I can still deprive them of my wealth. And to me, getting to have the ethical stance of saying no I refuse to go along with this anymore and I don't want to participate because to me, like this is the most horrific thing that has ever happened in human history. And it's the fact that other people are murdered under my name with my wealth and I can't stop it. And it's disgusting. Wow. Okay. Uh, at the risk of a... Just to finalize my answer, yes, we are right, but convincing people of that is not going to be a lifelong task and we have to be committed to the ethical principles of that bitcoin is about actualizing a world of peace through cryptography and that's really what my book is about is about how crypto sovereignty allows for us to create a new form of a political system that has peace as its fundamental goal as opposed to the utilization of violence to try to create peace yeah, I mean, when Eric talks, how, how could you even try to fight Bitcoin when you can explain it in that way? I, I couldn't even imagine. Okay, 
you constantly blow my mind. And at the risk of kind of turning this conversation to like, uh, duh, I just said it. Uh, what is the stuff that is blowing your mind right now? Uh, in all honesty, it's like the contemplation of what the linguistic structure of Bitcoin is and how, okay. to, how to mean more and more that like th this is all like a fundamental problem of language itself. And that Bitcoin, by the way, that it's essentially creating um, it's like a it's a grammar without words because it is like it fundamentally is a rule set. But that rule set produces then, you know, these blobs of code that like like a TXID could be seen as being like a word, but it's a word that's totally unique to that transaction between those two entities that created that transaction. And furthermore, like that word, it'll exist for all of human history on the Bitcoin blockchain, and it can always be referenced back as that specific event. So, so to me, it's almost like a, a super language project that surveils the entirety of what its network is doing and then creates a very specific word for every single thing that happens. And that's a word that will never, ever be repeated again. Wow. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I got the biblical scripture at first. There was the word and now it's Bitcoin. Well, and it, I mean, not to get like uh, blasphemous there or whatever. Yeah. Like uh, I think it's really important to understand and look at these corollaries because part of like what I believe it, is true to be happening is that like if you look at like first there was the word there's also parables about how like god would point at something and it just became what it was and it was because it was before language and so the idea of a word and a name were synonymous with each other so that like there there wasn't the idea of a tree there was just the one tree that there was and then the moment that eve bit into the apple and attained knowledge like we could say that that's language and language itself fundamentally becomes this object that uh there's always one metaphorical turn that happens in any language, you know? And so when I say an orange, like, am I talking about the idea of orange, the color of orange, that orange that's sitting right there, the orange light that's okay, attracting Plato, all okay, of us? Okay, Plato, talking about forms. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, last question, because uh, I, I want to let Eric get on to, we're, we're both worn out all day. I was just telling him, like, yo, we're both worn out. He's like, I'm just I'm just trying to catch catch a little moment. Um my last question is, you were saying that Bitcoin uh, through crypto sovereignty is true crypto anarchy. And so my thoughts are, what is your view on all the pro-Bitcoin politicians that are currently making the rounds on social media, um, on uh, you know, the corporate press? Is, uh, is there a need for politicians to be pro-Bitcoin or is it one of these things that we always hear from Hayek, you know, just build a system that they cannot control, that roundabout sly way of taking that power back from them? Or rather, maybe TLDR, like, are Bitcoin politicians important? Um, Bitcoin politicians are important, but we've never had a Bitcoin politician. Mm. We, we have politicians that want to use Bitcoin in order to further their own agenda. And so, like, I, I find that a little despicable personally. Um, like, if we want a new form of political class to rise up and say, no, actually, we are an orange party that represents something entirely new and different. And it's about tearing down the structures of this government and rebuilding them on top of robust cryptography that's going to work for well into the future. Yeah, I'm down for that. But the other thing is, is that, like, at the end of the day, to me, the battle is against the state and its reservation of the right to create violence. And so to me, I want to see a new political system get created that wants to essentially abscond from that and try to figure out 
and and like this is what's led me on a lot of my philosophical path and is what I'm working on now is that uh, I'm working on a work from Emmanuel Levinas uh, in Totality and Infinity. And in the opening, he asked the question, is man doomed to an infinite existence within war or is there something else that we have? Is there a possibility of real and actual peace for humanity? And I believe that that is true. And I believe that Bitcoin has a very large role to play in helping remove the endemic violence that statism has trapped all of us in and creating a totally and radical new possibility that no one foresaw being able to happen. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, last question. I know I said the last one was the last question, but you sparked another idea in my head. And a lot of times I think when you come across someone that, for instance, might hear an Eric Case on Epic Rant, they might ask themselves, this sounds well and good, you sound very ideological, and it seems like you may be reaching towards a utopian ideal. What would be your response to that idea that maybe we're being, I don't know, a tad bit utopian in the idea of fix the money, fix the world? Uh, sure, but first I'd point out that the word utopia itself means no place, and that's also where we're working. We, we aren't in any place in particular. We're everywhere within where the Internet is. And so I'd say this does sound quite utopian, but to me, like, this is also why this is about political philosophy itself is, is funny enough to quote, quote of all people, I'll quote Karl Marx and the fact that he pointed out that the point of philosophy isn't to interpret the world, it's to change it. And I believe he was right in that. And I think Bitcoin is the actual, the actualization of a political philosophy that can radically oppose the uh, creeping communism that we're seeing, but also the general corporate fascism that already rules us. And through the radical ideas that Bitcoin is, it actually neutralizes both of these very extreme forms and then makes the most radical form of liberalism that says, I respect you as a self-sovereign individual and I'm going to implement a system where I cannot steal from you no matter what. Man, Eric, absolutely love you, bro. I'm sure we can do this for, I don't know, probably like six hours. We should, one day we'll just like spark up joints and just, <laughs> just pass them around and just see how deep we get down the rabbit hole. Not, not, not on camera. We'll just keep going. And if you get lucky, you'll get a glimpse of it. But uh, Eric, uh, last note, where can the people find you? You said you're going on a global world book tour. Uh, what else are you working on? What do you want the people to see out there? What, what do you want just the people to t take a look at? Yeah, if you can, do, if you follow me on Twitter, that's where I do a lot of my ranting and stuff uh, on Noster as well. And uh, if you're going to be at Bitcoin Amsterdam, I'll be presenting there along with uh, the first Indonesian Bitcoin conference, which I'm quite excited about. Uh, and if you're just curious and kind of following other deeper works that I have, you can buy my book and you can find that on uh, Bitcoin Magazine's website or you can also look it up on Amazon. Just for the people that aren't aware, what is the book title? I'm sorry, I should probably do that. Yeah. It's called Crypto Sovereignty, and its subtitle is The Encrypted Political Philosophy of Bitcoin. Wow, Eric, it's always a pleasure, brother. I'm so glad we got to do this. I will let you go off and enjoy the rest of your night. I really so appreciate it for blowing my mind for 30 minutes really quick. It went by really, really fast. And uh, Eric... Thank appreciate you, my it, bro. Appreciate it. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Definitely go follow and listen to Eric Case on here. You're against Bitcoin. You're against freedom.